Thank you, Graham. Praise God. So it's nice to be invited back again. Uh, I'll just praise the kids that are going out. Father, we come before you, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that we can uh, come and worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth, Lord. We thank you for that amazing worship, Lord. And the words that we sang, Lord, we want them to become a reality in our lives, Lord. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore, Lord. It's a place where you heal the brokenhearted, Lord. Where the sick are healed, Lord. Where the weak say, I am strong. Lord, may you speak to us this morning. Bring comfort to our lives, Lord. Bring hope, Lord. That you alone know the plans you have for us, says the Lord. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us a hope and a future, Lord. Let us know the reality of that this morning, Lord, that you are a good God, and your, your plans for us are good, Lord, and it's to prosper each one of us, it's to make a way for us, Lord, in this life, Lord, to carve out a way, Lord, to make a way sometimes where there seems to be no way, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says that God will make a pathway in the wilderness and he will send streams in the desert. You know, what does that look like? In the, in the wilderness, there's no pathway. And in the desert, there's no streams. But he's saying, I can do the impossible. I can make a way where there seems to be no way. And I don't know if there's anybody in here else like me, but I like it when I get to the end of the week, a Sunday night, when I come in for church on a Sunday night. I go to a kind of church on a Sunday night, a wee church, or sometimes I go away and speak in other places. But when I get in on a Sunday night, and I've got to the end of the week, and I get into my bed, I say, God, thank you, God, I've made it through another week, you know. And tomorrow is the start of a new week. And I do that from month to month, and even from year to year. That sounds into a new month, and that sounds into a new year. And what I really basically tell myself is we're one step closer to what God is to, to what God is going to do, to what, for what God has said he is going to do, we're one step closer, it's getting closer all the time, you know, and God will continually makes a way, you know, to get deal with responsibilities because life comes with responsibility and different types of pressure, you know, but God will continually give us the grace to deal with that until we come into that new place. You know, that's not obviously what I'm going to speak about the, this morning, but I just want to speak really about, for one verse, I'll bring some other verses into it, and it's a very interesting verse. It's Matthew chapter 22, and it is verse... 29 and it says Jesus answered and said to them you are mistaken not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God so I'll just say that again Jesus answered and said to them you are mistaken not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God and here we see Jesus speaking to the, the Sadducees and uh, remember we had the Pharisees and we also had the, the Sadducees and uh, they were the religious leaders of a, a religious society you know in Jerusalem it was a, in Israel back in the days 2000 years ago it was a religious society 
and uh, they were the ones who headed it up. But Jesus says to them in different occasions, he says to the Pharisees at one point, you fast twice a week and you even give tithes and you do X, Y and Z but he's saying you've completely missed it because he says what you're doing you're doing it to be seen by men but your hearts are far from God he's praised God with your lips but your hearts are far from me that's what it says in Isaiah speaking to the Pharisees but here he's speaking to the Sadducees and he says, one of, he says something very similar they asked him a question and he responded to that question you are mistaken not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God and Jesus was telling them you have completely missed the mark you know completely missed it and if we look at churches all across across the land this morning and the question is is there people in those churches who have completely missed the mark and if obviously the answer to that is yes uh, there's people who missed the mark but there's people though uh, will be living in that place of experience with God and that is the alternative to what Jesus says so if he's saying to the Sadducees not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God he's saying that's what it looks like to be mistaken the, the alternative to that is knowing the scriptures and the power of God in their lives and in this very very verse we see two things come together that people speak about. They talk about the merging together of word and spirit. Or some people call it a marriage between the spirit and the word. When these two things come together. And it's really speaking of when the word of God you know, and the power of God begin to impact a person's life and begins to transform them and change them. And Jesus is saying here, he's telling us this is the answer or this is the key. Although he was speaking in a negative connotation, you can turn that on on its head and say the answer is knowing the scriptures and the power of God. And that can, what does that look like in the life of the individual? It's really a place of consecration. And consecration meaning to be deeply devoted to a purpose. It also means to be made holy and to be set apart, like to be sanctified. And also it's a place of experience and a place of encounter. A place where it's really a place of authenticity and uh, a place where we begin to experience God in a tangible way. And when that begins to happen in the life of an individual, that person will begin to stand out for the crowd. You know, I've always had this question over a period of many years, you know, for about 17 years now, when you look at people in churches and you look at people who profess to be Christians, why do some progress and why do some, some don't progress? Why do some, for years down the line, they look as if they're still stuck? on this journey and for some it's not even years it's decades down the line you know they're still struggling with the same issues if you hear what they're telling you they're still struggling with the same things they they struggled with 30, 40, 50 years ago because they tell you what they were like when they were young and they're still struggling with major issues in their life but then there's others who are living productive lives living fruitful lives and they're maturing you know in God in their characters in their their, their personalities you know in their natures I've always asked myself that question, I've always came to the conclusion is it the fact that some are seeking God and some are not 
you know, and what does it mean to seek God, what I was speaking about here? Well, Jesus is telling us here, it's about getting to know the scriptures and the power of God. And where does that happen? That can only happen in one place. And it's a place of one-on-one with God. It's a place where Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, He says, And you, when you pray, He says, Go into your room. He says, And pray to your Father who is in the seat. No, He says, Go into your room. He says, And shut the door. He says, And pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And He says, Your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. In other words, what is happening in private will begin to have an impact in, in the public place because he says it will reward you openly. Our lives will begin to bear fruit sooner or later if we're living in that place. And that place is really, as I say, it's a place of one-on-one with God. It's a place of solitude. It's a place where we really need to die to self because... You know, our own fallen natures, they don't want to get still. And you need to really, you need to really die to self. The Bible speaks about our own passions and our own desires. And we need to die to self. See, prayer, it can be a very, very lonely place. You know, and we really need to come into that place and install discipline into our lives. But, you know, so I began to come to that conclusion, you know, continually. Never known if I was right or not. Is there some people seeking God? And is there some, some people not seeking God? You know, and over the recent months, I have been listening to people just in conversations that I've been having with people. And sometimes not even asking them any questions, just listening to what they're telling me. And I'm saying, there's the answer there. That is the key right there. For example, I was talking to a woman just recently, maybe about two months ago. And she made a profession of faith about three, four years ago. And there's been some changes in her life, but it's been very kind of slow, and it's still some major struggles as well. But some of her attitudes have changed and for the better. But the progress has been very slow. And she had been listening to this guy preaching, I was there as well, and there was a great response to what the guy said. And he was saying stuff along the lines of, where are you at with God? Ask yourself the question, where are you at with God? And how are you living for God? How are you living? And she says, I took a lot out of that the night. She says, because, she says, I have been living a lie. She says, I go to church, and she says, I go through the motions, and I listen to the messages. She says, but I'm not really doing anything about it. And I never asked her one question. I just listened to what she was telling me. And I says, that is the key there. What she's telling me, she's telling you, she's telling me why she is stagnated. You know, she's telling me that herself. And what she was basically telling me, she was not investing in that relationship with God. You know, she wasn't living in this place here that Jesus speaks about, about knowing the scriptures and the power of God. You know, she says, I'm going to do something about it. You know, and I, I began to speak to her. I says, you really need to, you know, put the effort in. It's the same with any relationship. If you're going to get to know anybody, you need to invest in it. You know, we know we're saved by grace, not, but not by works, least any man should boast. The scripture says, for by grace we have been saved through faith. And that not of ourselves is the gift of God. And that gift of salvation has just got to be received through putting our faith in Jesus Christ. But after that, the Bible tells us that we need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And uh, so I took out what she said to me, you know, I says, you know, you, you look at people's lives, people are moving forward, some people are not. And another guy, he would walk with God, he would backslide, 
walk with God and backslide walk with God and backslide and this guy came from a very dysfunctional background so when he backslid you know it was addiction it was prison it was violence this is a guy who stood in platforms and preached you know uh, preached in, in prophetic words spoken over his life and uh, but it was carnage you know some people they don't go to their depths but some people stay in church many and they're stuck they're stagnant you know in, the, in their relationship with God on this journey but he would come out of church and it would be utter carnage you know married divorced having kids no no to, to, to different women no looking after their kids no investing in their lives and he phoned me one Sunday morning very early on a Sunday morning and I said right, I'll come and get you and I hadn't heard from him for a while and I brought him over to my house, you know, I picked him up, he told me where he was, brought him over and began to talk to him. And he says, I'm in a terrible mess again. I says, why do you think you keep backsliding? Why do you keep going back into your addiction? I says, you've tasted that the Lord is good, you know, you've, you've seen transformation in your life, but you keep going back the way. And this had been on for 15 years, you know. And uh, he says to me, I don't want to surrender. And that came out of his mouth. And how many of us can be like that in church, walking with God? We want to remain in control of our own lives. But Jesus says this, He who wants to keep his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, Jesus, we don't come into that place overnight. I believe it's through the grace of God we can come into that place. But we begin to live for God in God alone. You know, and that's where he begins to transform our lives. And I believe... You know, that, what that looks like is in this verse, verse 29, getting to know the scriptures and the power of God. I had a guy speaking Thursday night there in the meeting. His name is uh, Michael Holloway. don't know, I think you might know Michael Hugh. And uh, Michael has been a Christian for 18 years. And uh, I hadn't seen him for years, but I met him at a teen challenge, an open day down at the Haven just a few months ago. And uh, Michael, he came from Kilmarnock. And he was in a very, very dark place, you know. He never spoke too much about that the other night, just more about uh, the last 18 years before he got saved. Deep in addiction, you know, a troubled young guy, you know, and uh, he, was, he got saved about 18 years ago, and he went through a teen challenge. But, you know, I seen him a few months ago, and I looked, uh, I looked at his life, you know, today... He's married, he married a, a, a girl, she was off missionaries, uh, a Canadian girl, and they, they, her parents run, they're in charge of a film movement in, in Ethiopia, they're missions in Ethiopia, and they've sent thousands out to plant churches, and uh, so he mar- married a, a, a lassie for a good Christian background, and he's got three kids, and he pastors, he's a full-time pastor in a church in Dundee. But not even, I, I looked where God has brought him for just when I met him a few months ago and I said, that, that is amazing how God has brought him to where he is. And not just pastoring the church full time, but he's, he's married with three kids and he's investing in these kids. And he says something interesting the other night, he says, if I can't get it right at home, he says, what good can you be in the church? He's saying, that's where it starts. And I thought about his life, you know, just over the last few months a wee bit. And I says, what is different about him? You know, the, the, the way he's went in, in 18 years, you know, how God has transformed his life. Now he's living a fruitful and productive life. And I came to this conclusion, it's to do with sincerity. You know, we need to be sincere. You know, half-hearted is, doesn't, is, is not going to cut it in, in this Christian walk. It is never going to cut it. In the book of James, chapter 4, verse 8, uh, James says this, Draw close to God, and he will draw close to you. 
Meaning, if we, t- we need to take that step forward to him, and he will take a step towards us in return. That's why I say to many people all the time who are, who are struggling and who are not progressing, you know, in life, in their, in their walk with God, I say, you need to make God halfway. You know, take that step towards him. And he's going to say, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Meaning, when we take that step towards God, He'll begin to do a purification work in our lives. You know, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Meaning, you know, when we're double-minded, it is not going to cut it. You know, we need to be sincere, we need to be authentic, and we need to be real before God. Getting to know the Scriptures and the power of God. And it's in that place, really, of seeking the face of God, that God can awaken something within us. You know, many years ago, there was a, a, a young man called Evan Roberts that was about in 19, leading up to the years 1904, for 13 years, from the age of 13 to the age of 26, he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed, not just as an individual on his own, but he prayed five nights a week in the prayer meeting in the, in the local church. And in the end, there was other people praying with him. Other people were, were getting awakened. But what happened with Evan Roberts is you can see it throughout history. If you read different accounts of different moves of God, something happened to him that happens to many, many people who are involved in these moves of God without, without history. Something in him was awakened. You know, something was awakened in that prayer time. Something was awakened where he began to say there has got to be more than this. There has got to be more than what I've experienced thus far. There has got to be more to life. There has got to be more to the gospel. There has got to be more to this supernatural walk with God. And he really began to get gripped with this... uh, uh, You could call it the spirit of prayer. Where he began to be relentless... But he says, I am not going to give up. You know, I am not going to let go. And I'm going to get a hold of God. To God does something in my life then through me. And he began to persevere and persevere. You know, and God never disappointed him. God began to move through him in a powerful way, just as a young man. But the presence of God came down in 1904. It went on for about two years. In the nation of Wales. And tens of thousands of people began to turn to Jesus Christ, put their faith in Jesus Christ. It was a time when people walked down the, the, the mines and the, there was a drinking culture and there was swearing, all this kind of thing. And guys began, men began to put their faith in Jesus Christ and full families were transformed. And that started with one person. One person getting sincere with God. One person coming into that place where they're saying, I'm going to get to know the scriptures and the power of God. And it's in that place that we get awakened. There's people today all over the world and they're getting awakened. Something within them is being awakened where they're saying there has got to be more than this. There has got to be more than what we've experienced thus far. The same thing happened with two wee women from the island of Lewis. They were sisters, they were elderly women, and there's a couple of health issues here and there, two of them had it, and they began to press into God. And they began to get gripped, the same as Evan Roberts way, what you could call the spirit of prayer. And God gave them a promise. The promise was what was from Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3. And it says this, For I'll pour water on him who is thirsty, and floods on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit 
on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. It was multi-generational. It was going to hit one generation and move to the next. And that has happened throughout history. But one person comes to Christ in a family and it begins to impact every single generation after that. And God gave him that promise, these two old ladies. And they began to take that promise and they began to get hold of it and they wouldn't let go. They would not let go of God and began to press in and pray and pray and pray. Why did they do that? Why did they not give up? Because something had been awakened within them. You know, that there is more. And the question is, this morning, has something been awakened within us? Because that's what's going to provoke us to get into that place, to begin to know the scriptures and the power of God, to know there is more. There is more to life. There is more to this gospel, you know. There is more to church than what we've seen thus far. And God came down on the island of Lewis, you know, and, you know, the presence of God came down where you would feel it in the streets. There was people in a dance hall, hundreds of people, and the presence of God came down. You know, I've read accounts of this, you can read it yourselves. The people came out of the dance hall late at night and went to the church. The church was shut, looking for salvation. It was a sovereign move of God, but the Holy Spirit was coming upon people, you know, and they were being convicted of sin and knowing they need a Saviour, Jesus Christ. And they came to the church, you know, this is just one occurrence of many different things that happened in that time period. The church was closed and somebody went and got somebody to open the church you know and God began to use a guy by the name of Duncan Campbell you know under the presence and the power of God and began to use him powerfully you know with the scene you know thousands upon thousands of people come to Jesus Christ and it started with two wee women saying there has got to be more than this you know how do we get into that place and stay in that place well, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, I discipline my body. He says, and I bring it under subjection. He says, least, least. He says, after I have preached to others. He says, I too become disqualified. So within that verse, uh, I don't know if it's, it might be more than one verse there, but I don't know where it is, I'm just kind of quoting it from memory. I think, uh, it might be in Corinthians, I'm, I'm not sure. But within that verse, he's, he's speaking about two things here, two different things. He's talking about preaching to others, meaning his ministry, his connections with people, but then he's talking about his own private prayer life. And uh, he's saying, I discipline my body and I bring it under subjection. He says, least after I have preached to others, I too be- become disqualified. See, Paul was saying there's two different things here happening. There's ministry. He says, he's, he's basically telling us that it's one thing to preach this gospel. It's another thing to live it. And he says, for me to live it, he says, I need to discipline my body. I need to bring it under subjection. What was he meaning? See, we don't want to get stuck. See, people, when people are busy all the time, when people are involved in activity, they're not dealing with nothing within them. You know, the issues we carry within. To deal with the issues, remember the, the, the psalmist David says, He leads me beside the still waters, meaning being still. He restores my soul. That can really only happen in a place of solitude with God. And our own fallen natures, as I say, it doesn't want to get still before God. You know, so Paul says you need to discipline it. You need to bring it under subjection. Least after I preach to others, I too become disqualified. So he was telling us, you know, there's a there's an act of our will involved, there's a choice involved where we need to install discipline 
into our life to come before God for what reason? to get to know the scriptures and the power of God you know that the power of God will begin to be tangible in our lives we'll begin to see change in our lives and we'll begin to somebody will look at us and say that person is different you know that person has the presence of God upon their life and it's that individual whose life will bear fruit that can impact others so we need to install discipline because you know our flesh you know I'll put it like this there's times that we, we might want to read the Bible and there's times that we might want to pray when we're feeling okay but when we're not feeling okay you won't do it you won't want to do it right? You won't. some people when they're, when they're not their cell when they're not feeling when they're conflict, conflicted within when they're not at peace with their cell many times they won't want to read the Bible and they won't want to sit down and pray but these periods of time can go on for three months in your life. They can go on for three weeks. So if we just prayed and read the Bible when we felt like it, you know, it would be on and off, on and off. It would be periodically, you know, we might, we might seek God for a week and stop for ten days. Then stop for three days. But Paul says, I discipline my body and I bring it under subjection because consistency is everything. It's consistency what is going to bring the transformation. And we talk about, you know, how does the word of God bring transformation? Well, a few years ago I began to discover verses, some verses such as uh, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word. That he might present her to himself, a glorious church, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and without blemish. A few years ago I began to see verses like that. And I'm saying, my goodness, I can take this Bible and I can begin to read that and it will begin to purify my life and it was, that began to blow my mind and by this time I'm reading the Bible every single day uh, 7 days a week 365 days a year and I've been doing that for about 10 years and you know I've, I've introduced discipline in my life but if i never done that I would just read the Bible when I felt like it and, and many times we don't feel we, we don't feel good and we feel convicted and our minds are you know our, our emotions can be all over the place but when we introduce discipline we're going to do it whether we feel like it or not and it begins to bring transformation to our life and you'll say how can a book transform somebody's life because it's not just any ordinary book in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 it says for the word of God is living and is powerful sharper than a two edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart in other words when we begin to read this bible and we begin to get consistent about it you know it will begin to impact every fibre of our being every cell everything because it says joints and marrow soul and spirit thoughts and the intents of the heart it will begin to affect every single bit of us and bring transformation but if it's inconsistent if it's periodically you know there's not going to be I don't believe there's going to be much change as well there's another verse or just another one verse regarding that there's a verse in the gospel of John where Jesus said that and it's a well known verse is John chapter 8 verse 32 and it says the truth shall be known and the truth shall set you free so verse 32 of John chapter 8 that is I knew that verse for many years many people know that verse 
One day I was reading, and I noticed the verse before it, and I was stunned. Verse 31, and it says, If you abide in my word, that word there, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So those two verses was telling me something. You know, I never noticed the, the, the verse before it for years and years and years. It's telling us that the truth he's talking about is the word of God. And he says, if you abide in my word, you, shall, you, you are my disciples indeed. You become a disciple of Jesus Christ through abiding in his word. Then he says, you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. So again the Bible is telling us, Jesus is telling us here, we can take this Bible from Genesis to Revelation and begin to read it and begin to read it and begin to read it and it will begin to set us free on the inside. That is amazing. You know, it will set us free from the issues we carry within. Whether it's whatever it is, conflict within. You know, the things that separate us from God, the things that, you know, take away our peace, whether it's anxiety, fear, you know, anger, you know, all these toxic emotions, jealousy, whatever it may be, you know, torment, we can begin to take that Bible, begin to read it, and it will begin to set us free. Jesus says this, he who wants to keep, I, this, I mentioned this scripture already, but I, I said it before the, the time, so it's just coming back to me. He who wants to keep his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So what is he saying? He's saying people, whether they're in churches, whether they're out there in communities, he's saying people who want to live for themselves and not live for him, he says there's going to be consequences further down the road. He says, but people who live for me, he says they're going to find a life. They're going to find something further down, further down the road. And what is that looking like living for him? It's really coming into this place of this verse, beginning to know the scriptures and the power of God. It's like a, a lifestyle of prayer and study of the word of God, where transformation comes forth. And he says, what's going to happen is we're going to find life further down the road. What does that mean? It means we're going to be blessed. God is going to bless those individuals. You know, to begin with, there's a sacrifice involved. He's calling us to, to live the sacrificial life. He said, but further down the road, you're going to be blessed. Blessing is mentioned 400 times in the Bible. And it's one of the biggest themes within Scripture. And it means divine favour and protection. Who wouldn't want divine favour and protection? Meaning that the hand of God is upon your life. The favour of God will stand out for the crowd. It means preferential treatment. And it also means empowered to succeed. Who wouldn't want these three things? I'll mention them again. Divine favour and protection. Preferential treatment. Empowered to succeed. Wow, empowered to succeed in life. This is God's promise to us. But he's saying you need to take that step towards me. I will take a step towards you in return. And this will be the outcome of it. And it's really talking about living the sacrificial life. We can all do that to some degree. All our schedules are different. You know, people have got different responsibilities. But to some degree, we can all come into that secret place. The Bible says about Jesus that he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. That's Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God. If he had to do it, how much more us? And remember Jesus says that somebody asked him a question and he gave I'm just going to finish up now, but somebody asked him a question and he gave them a response. And it says, those who leave father, mothers, brothers, sisters, wives, lands, houses, 
you know, I don't think he was necessarily saying you need to abandon your family, you need to do this or that. He says he was, he was just responding to a question. He says, and the question was, what about us who have, who have left everything? And he says, we'll receive many more times in this life and in the age to come. And what he was really saying here is, those who are willing to make that choice uh, as an act of their will to live that sacrificial life. He says, anything they need to give up, he says, will be, you, you'll, there'll be no comparison to the blessings that they're going to walk into, not just in this life, but in the life to come. And I don't think that can ever be our motives. Our motives are, we all respond to God different, but the invitation is the same to everyone. And our response is, is really going to, you know, measure God's response to us, you know, after we're, we're saved. And, uh, you know, I think it's exciting. It's really exciting for what God has got in store. Because the Bible is telling us, the more I read it, it's telling us that those who are living for Him, are those who make that choice to begin to live for him. He's saying, I'm going to bless that person. Wow, and that is mind-blowing. That we are going to be blessed by God. We've sang about it already. You know, but that blessing means divine favour and protection. Preferential treatment, empowered to succeed. You know, and we're living in exciting days. And you, you know, the question... And the question is this morning, you know, are you living for him? Or are you going to begin to live for him? And let me tell you, God will bless you for that. But we do it out of love for him. You know, not to be blessed because they wouldn't work. You know, but it's exciting times. And uh, I'm just going to pray and hand it back to Graham. So Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. And... We ask you to help us, Lord. Give us grace, Lord, to, to live the life, Lord. Give us grace, Lord, to see transformation in our life, Lord. That our weaknesses will be broken off of our life, Lord. Our, our character defects, Lord, and our shortcomings, Lord. We're crying out, Lord, for a move of your Holy Spirit, Lord, in our own individual lives, Lord. We're crying out for more, Lord, like the two wee women on the island of Lewis. Would you give them the verse for I'll pour water in him who's thirsty and fudge on the dry ground. I'll pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring, Lord. Awaken us, Lord, to, to know there is something more than what we've experienced so far, Lord. Show us that it's found in the secret place. Getting to know the scriptures and the power of God, Lord. Help us not to be like the Sadducees, who are greatly mistaken, who have missed the mark. But we will be one in the other category, Lord. There's two categories, Lord. Those who are mistaken and those who are getting to know the scriptures and the power of God. Those who have got a desire to live for you, to live a life pleasing for you. Father, touches with your presence this morning, Lord. I pray for anybody, Lord, who feels hopelessness, Lord, who is concerned about a situation, Lord, going on right now in their life, Lord, that you will speak to them, Lord, and tell them that everything is going to be okay. You'll speak to them through the scriptures, Lord. They'll pick up that Bible, Lord, and that a verse will become alive. Lord, and be imparted to them. They'll hang on to that verse, Lord. For the scripture says, the Lord perfects 
that which concerns me. Psalm 138, verse 8, Lord, we can have many concerns in life, Lord, but you can perfect that which concerns me. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen.